I, I really have no idea how to transition from Mother's Day to White Castle, so we're just going to do it. Some people have asked if we're doing the gift cards every week. Yes, uh, and because I know how many of you, White Cat, you are just a big fan of White Castles. Raise your hand. That's why there's five gift cards this week. Uh, so there's two up in the balcony and three on the main level. I think there might be one in the annex uh, because we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And so if you think about spiritual warfare in the eyes of a fast food restaurant, White Castles should be one of the top like three that come into your mind when it comes to kind of what White Castles is known for. But we continue in this sermon series about fasting. And the thing about fasting is it's this spiritual connection with, Ma, or with the Lord, spiritual connection and wanting God to do kind of an intense spiritual activity in our life where we voluntarily deny ourselves, okay? Deny ourselves of food, right? That is the fasting. But we've talked over the weeks that it's not just food, that we can fast from social media, we can fast from TV, we can fast from going out to eat, we can fast from a lot of different things, but it's this volunteering giving up to focus on Christ. Now, we also have this kind of uh, thing in our country as far as healthy eating and uh, intermittent fasting where we can fast to lose weight or get healthy, nothing wrong with that at all. But the biblical discipline of fasting has everything to do with making a connection to God. And one of the things that happens when we fast, and this is something that I've experienced personally, is if you read a lot of theologians or a lot of uh, kind of religious leaders that talk about spiritual disciplines, is when we're fasting, we can become spiritually vulnerable. That when we're fasting, when we're denying ourselves kind of a pleasure of the world, eating, whatever, Facebook, you know, and that is something that we tend, can be addicted to is food, social media, praise, all of those things, is when we deny ourselves, we can create a spiritual vulnerability. That when we are so trying to get kind of in-tuned or retuned to that of God, of the Holy Spirit, of his power, we can become vulnerable. And we see this in a, a set of scripture. We see this uh, in what we talked about two weeks ago with Jesus in the wilderness. We talked again a little bit about it last week, that Jesus was being tempted by Satan. He was on a 40-day fast. He was hungry, and right away, Satan hits him with food. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Meet your physical needs. So if you're doing a fast or some kind of fast of whatever to try to connect with God, I'm here to tell you there's a force in the world that does not want that to happen. Satan does not want you to become a stronger Christian. He just doesn't. It, is, it would make his job harder. You become more uh, in, in, enlivened in your faith. Uh, you grow spiritually. Christians that are maturing in their faith is something that Satan hates. He can't stand it because it makes his job and his minions' job harder. Now, a lot of times, we don't want to look at that. We don't want to think about this idea of the spiritual war warfare side of things, but we have to. If we're going to be in a spiritual conversation about fasting, a spiritual conversation about growing spiritually, spiritual warfare has to come with it. 
it's a one-two punch. Because when we are trying to grow spiritually, there is a force that doesn't want that to happen. And it's something that's going to be against you for your entire walk of faith. Until you're in glory, you will always be spiritually tempted. You will always be in a spiritual battlefield. And the hard part is, we actually give in to that a lot. That we don't really think about anger, um, holding a grudge, holding that, you know, wanting that pound of flesh. We don't look at things like hatred or stances, you know, oppression, stances over people as spiritual uh, defects or spiritual, you know, the, uh, demonic forces, but it is. And if you want to stop and just take 30 seconds to look at the world today, when we stand over each other, right, that's not a stance of Christ. So if it's not a stance of Christ, then it's a stance of the world. And if it's a stance of the world, then it's a stance of Satan because he's the prince of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world, but Satan, as Jesus claims him, and Paul underlines it, he's the prince of darkness. He is alive and well. And you look around what's going on today in the world, and I think he's having a heyday. And in some ways, don't let this sting, I don't think Satan has to do a whole lot. Because it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with simple yet damaging words. Did God really say? That from the very beginning, what Satan wants to do in all of our lives is twist and turn the scriptures. Well, pastor, how do I grow in my faith? The word of God. How do I find out more about what God's plan is for my life? The word of God. How do I grow in my spiritual disciplines? The word of God. How do I grow in my spiritual gifts? Word of God, being a member of a church. It's a very easy thing that I can tell people that come to my office. Pastor, how can I help uh, fix my marriage? Go to the Lord in prayer. Read scripture. Yet there are people that walk out of my office and go, I don't want to do that. Well, you're asking God to intervene in a situation in your marriage, in your life, in your job. And I said, well, when's the last time you talked to God about that? I haven't. Okay, well, let's start. Let's do it together. We'll pray in my office. A couple months later, how's that been working? It's not. How often are you checking in with God about it, praying about it? I'm not. Okay? How often are you reading God's word? What does he have for you? I don't. How many of you are in a job or have been in a job in life where you've wanted a promotion? You've hold that desire for a promotion and you really, really just long for that promotion. You think that the next rung on the ladder is yours, yet you never told HR about it. You never talked to your boss about it. You've never engaged anybody about it. You just hope and pray that just it will just go to your boss and they'll just one day be like, here you go. But let's take it to your marriage. Wives, how many times have you wanted your husband to make the bed or to clean, insert whatever here, but then you don't tell them? Or you only tell them once? We'll just leave that there. How men, how many times do you wish your wife would do this thing or that thing, yet you don't communicate it? Well, I shot her a text. Don't be that guy. Verbalize and verbalize and communicate. Assumed expectations in a marriage, kill it. Absolutely kill it. 
we verbalize our expectations. We don't hang it on as guilt. We don't do it as an ultimatum. How many wives today would love it if tonight the house would be super, super clean? Raise your hands high. Keep them up. Men, take notice. I'm going to get a lot of emails and text messages tonight. I would love to come and help you, but I have to do it at my house, okay? So I'm putting my money where my mouth is, okay? But here's one thing, and this is really getting off topic, but we're going to go there. The one thing then that can really destroy that is when the wives come home from whatever and they pull out the white glove test. Well, you didn't dust behind the bookshelf. You have to understand, women in the, in the room, some, we don't even know there is a back of the bookshelf. Okay, so there are times that those communications need to be verbalized. Expectations need to be set. Here's the tie-in. We've been given the expectations of how to grow in our faith. We've been given the expectations on how to fast. We've been given the expectations on how to serve. We've been given the expectations of how to be saved, right? How, do we, how are we saved? Romans, Romans 10.9, confess and believe. We've been given the expectations on what we're supposed to do with our faith. Go for it. Therefore, go and make disciples. We've been given the expectations on how we're supposed to be the church. To love God, to love others. Well, what is our love supposed to look like? I tend to like to hold grudges and judge people. Nope. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. Right? 1 Corinthians 13. That the expectations... For the believer in every spiritual everything is found in God's word. Yet there are times we will ingest God's word and then half an hour later, hour later, it just just leaves us. There's the gross tie to White Castles. Let's get over it. But one of the things that Jesus talks about in the midst of this kind of spiritual discipline conversation is what happens when we get attacked doing this. And this isn't an attack from the world, right? I don't know how many of you have ever told a coworker you're fasting and they've made fun of you. That probably doesn't happen. You know, if it is, that's just really dumb. But you're going to be attacked spiritually when we want to grow spiritually. That every time we want to grow in our faith, every time we come to church, every time we, we, we serve, every time we, we, we say yes to being a lighthouse teacher, a cadet leader, uh, leaving, their na- leaving your name up for elder and deacon, I always say, we're going to pray for you. We're going to cover you in prayer because there's someone that doesn't want you to do it. Because Satan would love if Munster Church didn't have a Sunday school, never had a nursery, never had elders and deacons, Probably never had a pastor, never had a vision, never had any of that. Because if we didn't have any of that, Satan wouldn't have to do anything here. He'd be like, oh, 214 Ridge Road, might as well be a White Castles, right? Because there's nothing going on. There's nothing of quality happening here for the sake of the gospel. But what I love about this church almost five years in is none of you want that. None of you want that. None of you want anyone to look at 214 Ridge Road and go, what was there again? Is that a church? 
What are those people about? No. But we are going to be attacked the minute we try to go to the spiritual. So turn in your Bibles to Mark 9. Jesus talks about this. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Mark writes, and when they came to the disciples, right, they saw a great crowd around them, the scribes arguing with them, and immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. When he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciple to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about. Excuse excuse me, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and and he arose And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So there is a lot going on in this passage, and this has a lot to do with not only this idea of spiritual warfare, but this idea of growing in our faith. So we set the scene. You have the disciples. The disciples now are known that they are disciples of Jesus. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He is, he's the man, right? He is gonna be the one, the one that's gonna do all of these things in people's minds. But if you are a rabbi and you have disciples, at some point, the rabbi sends the disciples out to do the job of the rabbi. The job of a disciple is to become a rabbi at some point, and at times, they get tested. Disciples get tested. Go out and do those things. We see that throughout the scriptures. We see that throughout the understanding that the disciples are learning about Jesus, to be like Jesus. Now let's take a, let's take a 30 second time out. This is different than any other kind of rabbi. These disciples are getting an education that no one else has ever gotten because Jesus is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the true Messiah, fully God, fully man. So these disciples are getting an education from a fully human being in Jesus of Nazareth and a fully and fully God, Christ the Messiah. Yet they were unable to cast out these demons, this demon. They were unable to do the full, complete job 
that Jesus clearly is able to do. This isn't the first time Jesus has done it. Won't be the last. Does anyone have a thought as to why the disciples were unable to exercise this demon? It's tough. This one's hard. Anybody? Their level of disbelief. Sure, I think that's part of it. Anyone else? Huh? They thought it couldn't be done. So not only disbelief, there's this doubt. Anyone else? Who said that? Right? Give high five. Tina, give her a high five. Tina, do it now. Good. Okay. Say it one more time because I forgot what you said. The first time they try and it doesn't happen, what don't they do? They don't ask for help. They get frustrated. I'm sure they've tried over and over again, and nothing seems to happen. It has a beautiful understanding of what spiritual disciplines, spiritual in, in, in kind of enrichment and growing spiritually takes. When we want to grow spiritually, right? So many people, about 80 of you, have taken the spiritual gifts of inventory, and I, it's one of my top five favorite things to do as a pastor of this church is to sit and go over that with you. Shameless plug, sure, but I love doing it. And people walk out going, man, this is great. I love this. Six months later, now that we've had it for over two and a half, three years, nothing's changed, Pastor. Well, have you served? No. I told you, the only way you grow in your spiritual gifting is by doing it. You can't grow in your faith via osmosis, right? You can't grow in your faith just because you have this on your kitchen table and you never read it, right? It's this understanding of engaging, of going back to the source. The disciples couldn't do it. And it wasn't until the people brought it up. The disciples didn't go to Jesus. The people did. We brought it to your disciples. They could do nothing. Oh, faithless generation, who was that for? It's for the disciples. You've been walking with Jesus now for however many years this has been. Mark isn't written chronologically, really, so we can't really determine. But this isn't the first time he's done it. He's done miracles. He's done feedings. He's done healings. And Jesus goes, oh, faithless generation. Most rabbis would have said, okay, disciples, you're done. You clearly don't get it. Next, we're going to the next group. Come on. No. But he calls it out. He does the work. What we have to understand is one of the spiritual temptations that we have is to give up when we don't get what we perceive we need from Jesus. Let me say that again. We don't get what we believe we spiritually need from Jesus. What's the problem with that logic? You don't understand what you need spiritually. I don't understand fully what I need spiritually. I think I do. And God is going to engage what you need, not always what you want. Well, I want to grow in this gifting, but I don't really want to do anything with it. 
why would God give you that gift then? Why would God give you a gift of whatever it is if you're not going to use it? It doesn't work. But when we get so frustrated, when we are in this spiritual time of fasting or growing in our spiritual gifts, we get frustrated and we want to give up. That is a temptation to do. That is the work of, the, of Satan getting in there and going, it's not worth it. So if you are in the midst of something in your life, things are not going well, you've been praying about certain things, relationships, whatever, and it's not happening, friend, don't give up. Find people to hold you accountable to seek the Lord's face. The worst thing we could do is pray the Lord for something, get out our calendar and go, and I'd like it done by this date. How dare we? If you want to hear a really cool testimony about that, talk to my friend John Reyes. John, raise your hand. Wave it like you just don't care. See, he does things too. Oh, stop. Talk to him. Talk to Renee. Talked about a prayer that, they, that he prayed two and a half years ago. I'm sure you would have loved that to be answered the next day, right? It's kind of like how Renee asked you to do stuff and she wants it done the next day, right? You wanted that, but God took his time because God knew better. I apologize if you're going to get a bunch of people come up and ask you, sorry about your Mother's Day plans, it may get pushed off an hour or so, but just deal with it. Um, how many of you could say that they, you have a testimony of your life where you prayed for things, you set it on a timetable, God blew it up, and he had something better? Well, you could raise your hand. Exactly. Friend, if you're here today and you don't believe God works that way, talk to anybody that just raised their hand. And it's okay to say that those people grew in their faith when God punked them out and said, hey, by the way, my way is better than your way. Because God's way always is. The disciples forgot that. The disciples thought that they had all that Jesus had. They were not given that yet. We see that after the culmination of Christ's death and resurrection. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in the epistles written by Paul that Christ had to go to the mat for you and for me to save us from our sins, to give us. All authority has been given to me, now you go. So the disciples being sent out was a time of testing, sure, but was a time of spiritual enlightenment that Jesus is saying, you still need me. So if you're in your faith life right now, I'm going to speak to people right now that might be struggling with the spirit of bitterness. Please understand that bitterness does not come from Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't go, ah, oh, my daughter Heidi, I'm going to give you the spirit of bitterness. That's not a fruit of the spirit. But if you're here this morning and you have a bitterness inside of you, it's because you're holding on to something because you don't fully believe that Jesus can restore whatever it is. If you're here this morning and you have a spirit of anger about you, righteous anger is different than worldly anger. 
It's another sermon series we'll get to in 2035. But understand, it's because you're holding on to something because you don't want to give it up to Jesus because you don't trust that he knows better. You think Jesus loves that you're angry? No. It's that emoji on your phone of just doing this. So many times in my life, I think Jesus just does that. Jim, right? Into your name here. I'm sure you might feel the same way. But if you're here this morning and you are desiring to be awoken spiritually, to have, to have your eyes kind of renewed into the mission and vision of God, but you've never asked for that, start asking Start asking for God to move. Start asking God to cast out those demons in your life, those spirits of whatever it is in your life, so you can be renewed in the knowledge of God and in love for your neighbor. Because here's the final point. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And prior to that, he says, everything that Jesus is about, Right? All the prophets in the law are all put together and, and now hung on two things. Love God and love people. So as a pastor, how can I, how can I get my congregation, myself, involved in growing spiritually? You better believe it's going to be about loving God and loving people. Pastor, I want to develop an empathetic heart for people. I want to have compassion for the hungry. Well, have you reached out to Pastor Demille to help with his ministry? No, I don't really want to do that. Then I doubt you're going to grow that. Well, I really want to, I want to, I want to, Pastor, I really want to grow in the leadership of the church. I really want to, you know, step, step in and be a leader in my gifted area. Have you taken your spiritual gifts inventory? Have you asked God to reveal to you what your gifts are? No. Well, you probably should. I think God's called me as a leader, but I, I don't really know where or how. There's opportunities to serve, to show leadership, to, to impact a child, an adult, whatever's life. Did you sign up for that? No. Okay. I'm not saying that to beat any of you up. I'm not saying that to guilt any of us. Right? Because I'm looking at myself first. But if we're going to ask God to grow in our life, to improve our marriage, to grow my relationship with my kids, to help me be a witness where I live, where I work, but we're not willing to do something, I, I think we missed it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. What's that song that we've learned as we were kids, if you grew up in the church, right? This little, I'm going to, Nobody or Satan, depending on what kind of church you went to, right? Nobody or Satan's not gonna. Some of you were blow it out. Some of you were poofed it out, right? I side with the poofters. That doesn't sound good. Anyway, I'm glad some kids laughed. Um, yet, we're gonna hide it under a bushel? Hide it under a bushel? No, he says we're a light on a hill, right? Now, we may not fully understand that in the Midwest, but we're going to be a lamp on a hill to shine, right? We're not going to cover it up with a bowl. 
We're going to let our light shine. So what kind of light are you shining? Are you shining light of love? Are you shining light of grace? Are you shining the light of being active in your faith? Or are you just going to be mad at God because he's not working the way you want him to, yet you really aren't going to be engaged in the process? Sanctification and growing in our faith is us being active in the process. So this whole idea of fasting, if you're not actually going to do it, then don't say you are. Same thing about being a believer. I love Jesus. I love the Bible. It's in the inspired word of God. And I want to follow that every day of my life. Well, do you read it? No. Do you pray? No. Do you attend church? Eh. Do you get involved? No. No athlete ever was endowed with all the greatness of their ability by doing nothing. Spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices are for us to grow in our faith. So that the Lord can use us to make lasting kingdom impressions in this world. Because we don't have to do it in the next. But for this world, for the mission we have, we need to be involved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you work in our lives in such a way that you call us to be involved, that you want to be an active parent. You want us to be participating with you in thought, word, and deed. And Father, you've given us your word. You've given us the roadmap. You've given us all that we have. There's no guessing, but there's faith. Let us not be like the disciples, who if things don't work the way we think they'll work, we just give up or we get frustrated. May we go back to you always seeking your face in all things to the glory of your holy name. Amen.